history tells the story of the world and of our lives. Sometimes that history goes bump in the night. Broadcasting from the center of oddity and the supernatural in Central Florida, it's the History Goes Bump podcast. Hello, you spooktacular people. Welcome to this 22nd episode of the History Goes Bump podcast. Ghost tours for the theater of the mind. I am your host, Diane. And this is Denise. And today we are talking about Octagon Hall in Kentucky. This is a very unique home, and we're looking forward to sharing with you a little bit of its history and more specifically its hauntings. And this house really is quite haunted based on all of the information that we've discovered about it. Yes, it is. And we're looking forward to sharing that with you. Before we get into that, we do want to point you in the direction of our website, historygoesbump.com. We know a lot of our regular listeners probably can recite all of this by heart. But for you new listeners, (laughs) we'd love to have you go over there and check out all the links we have there to our blog, our emporium. The archives are up there. We also have an events page, contact info, different places where you can follow us on social media, also where you can find the podcast. And if you'd like to donate to the show, we'd appreciate that as well. You can do all of that right there. Also, speaking of our contact page over on the History Goes Bump website, we did get a comment there from Troy. So we just want to thank you for that wonderful comment, Troy. We want to share it with everybody. He said, really like your show, found it on Stitcher keep it coming. Thanks for listening to us over on Stitcher. We don't have as many listeners on Stitcher as we do on iTunes and TuneIn, but uh, we really love hearing those comments. So thanks so much for sharing that with us. And also don't forget, you can email us if you have comments or if there's subjects that you would like to hear about, places that you've heard about that you want to get us researching and talking about, or just to give us any feedback. And that is at historygoesbump at gmail.com. And speaking of suggestions, we want to thank David and Tanya I believe the last name is Klaas, it's K-L-A-E-S, for suggesting Octagon Hall to us. So thanks so much for giving us the idea for this podcast topic. We are about mid-January of 2015, and don't forget we are having a contest this month so that you all can win some of our fabulous spook gear. All you have to do in order to win is either join our group page on Facebook, The Spooktacular Crew, or sign up to receive our newsletter. Now, unfortunately, if you do both, you don't get two entries. You only do get the one entry, but the winner will get a choice of either a t-shirt or a mug, and it will have the History Goes Bump logo on it. And we're looking forward to see who the winner's going to be. We will draw that winner on February 1st, 2015. Before we get into the heart of the show as well, can I rant just a little bit? Go ahead and rant, baby. For any of you out there who do genealogies... I, you have all of my respect in the world. I have never done a genealogy before and doing the research for the podcast that we're presenting to you, I got into some genealogical stuff and I was ready to pull my hair out. I think you actually pulled a few <laughs> hair out. I see a little bald spot. On I just hope it was side. the gray ones. Let it be the gray ones. <laughs> mm, nope. <laughs> <laughs> Thanks, peanut gallery. 
You're welcome. One of the things that I've complained about on the show before is that when you go to do the research on some of these locations, a lot of people just copy and paste things that they see on other websites. And they don't bother to actually do the research themselves or to check into things. And I really like to dig when we do this stuff. So I wanted to know, this building is an octagon. And so I want to know... Who's this guy who decided to build his home like an octagon? Got to be an interesting person, right? Right. And he definitely didn't check with any women because can you imagine trying to decorate a home <laughs> that's shaped like an octagon? Uh, yeah, I hadn't, it hadn't <laughs> occurred to me. But yeah, where do you put the couch? Exactly. <laughs> and how does it line up to with the TV? And then, you know, you get your feng shui going and it just gets all messed up. So as we get into looking at the guy who built this house... Andrew Jackson Caldwell, I had no idea that I was going to start going down these rabbit holes. But one of the key things you have to do, not only do we want to be accurate in giving histories to our listeners, but when it comes to hauntings, you need to be accurate because you kind of want to know who's doing the haunting and why, if it's even a possibility that they could actually be there, depending upon what you believe in everything. But if you don't have those in line, it's like, who who is haunting and who's doing what? So as I'm doing the research and trying to find out who his children are, and who he's married to and everything. Which this will make sense as we get into the show. Yes. I get really stumped on one of the children. And it's very important that we know about this child because she becomes very significant as we get into this. Well, when I'm reading all of these articles, whether it's in a newspaper or paranormal investigators talking about it, there are lots of them that are saying a five or six year old girl. And I'm like, okay, fine. So as I'm going through and I'm looking at the genealogies and stuff, I, first of all, I didn't know that he was married to two different women. It took me a a while to figure that out because I'm seeing two sets of kids and I can't figure out what is going on here. Are these for somebody else or what have you? So I finally figured out that he'd been married to two different women. Then with this child that's supposed to be five or six, I'm starting to see census reports that are showing that she's still alive at the age of 11. Something else that we need to point out here is census records are as accurate as the people who fill them out. Yes, Diane, student, that is very true. (laughs) And she's saying that because I revolted on the last census that was taken because um, I can be a little anti-government sometimes and I don't appreciate my privacy being disturbed. And you don't need to be very detailed in the census, which now I'm like, maybe I should have been (laughs) because I was pulling my hair out of this. So just saying that there's two adults living in a uh, domicile. (laughs) It's not real great for people down the road. You know, when we become rich and famous, you need to figure out stuff about us. It was two adults and our race was American. (laughs) (laughs) Anyway, and this is nothing against men, but sometimes men don't pay a whole lot of attention to exactly how old their children are. So as I'm looking through stuff, there's an 1850 census that has this child on there at the age of three. And then the census, which is in 1860, which is 10 years later, has her at 11. How is that possible? You can't go from three to 11 in 10 years. They didn't have our new math that's so much more efficient. (laughs) That's exactly, if we would have new math, it would be perfect, right? So here's what I'm thinking. We don't know when the census was taken, so it probably was after this child turned 12 and the father didn't, you know, wasn't realizing, you know what, she turned a year older, so he put her down as 11. So she hadn't yet turned 13, which she was supposed to do that year. So she was probably 12. He put 11 down, not really thinking about it. All of that is to say that in all of these histories that I see about this child, it not only says that she was either five or six, or it says that she passed away in the 1860s. Both of those things are completely untrue if this census is correct. And she doesn't show up in any other censuses after that. So what we're going to give you this evening is as accurate a picture as we possibly can. But boy, did I want to pull my hair out over this. And listen, 
to you people doing histories out there, do your research and use some common sense, please. That's the end of my rant. Rant over. If you would like to support the show, please visit our Patreon page at patreon.com forward slash history goes bump. Or perhaps you just want to make a one-time donation. Click the donate button on our website at historygoesbump.com. The Girl from Petrovka was a 1974 feature film starring Hal Holbrook, Goldie Hawn, and Anthony Hopkins. The movie was based on the novel written by George Pfeiffer. The plot is a love story between Holbrook, who plays an American journalist, and Hawn, who is a Russian dancer living illegally in the Soviet Union. They have to hide from the KGB. Anthony Hopkins wanted to read the novel before starring in the movie, so he scoured the bookshops of London to no avail. He could find no copy of the novel anywhere. He headed for the Leicester Square subway station to head home when he saw a book sitting on a seat, forgotten by someone. The book just happened to be a copy of The Girl from Petrovka. The movie began filming two years later in Vienna. George Pfeiffer, the author of the book, visited the set to see how things were going. Hopkins and Pfeiffer visited, and Pfeiffer told him that it might seem silly, but he had no copy of his own book because he had given his last copy to a friend who lost it in London two years prior. Hopkins retrieved his copy and asked Pfeiffer if it was the book that had been lost. Pfeiffer flipped through it and saw his notes in the margin. Sure enough, this was his lost book. The fact that this book just happened to be at the subway station that Hopkins could find in no bookstore in London is strange enough. For that book to be the author's long-lost copy is even weirder. The chances that this lost book would end up in the possession of one of the stars of the movie based on that book and that he would still have it and be able to return it to its original owner, the author, certainly is odd. This history podcast is haunted. This day in history. On this day, January 18th in 1778, the English explorer Captain James Cook discovered an island group that he dubbed the Sandwich Islands, naming them in honor of the Earl of Sandwich. Today we all know those islands to be the Hawaiian Islands, and we also know that Captain Cook could not possibly discover something that already had inhabitants. So we all understand that the Polynesians discovered the Hawaiian Islands. But Captain Cook did put the islands on the map. His journeys to Hawaii would eventually prove fatal for him. Initially, Cook and his crew were welcomed, and his first visit went smooth with good trade. Cook had explored many lands before this, from New Zealand to Tahiti to Antarctica, so he was an expert at exploration. Cook and his crew left, but they returned to Hawaii a year later. Captain Cook just happened to land in Kealakekua Bay during the Hawaiian festival of Lono on his second visit. The bay was the home of the god Lono, and since Cook showed up during the festival, he and his crew were treated like gods. They took advantage of the Hawaiians until a crew member died, revealing to the Hawaiians that they were mortals. Cook and his crew left, but had to return after damage occurred to one of their ships. The Hawaiians greeted them by throwing rocks and stole one of Cook's cutters. A lesser Hawaiian chief was shot to death, and a mob of Hawaiians overtook Cook's party. 
Despite the fact that Cook's men were firing their guns, they were overwhelmed and Cook was killed. A handful of Cook's men made it back to the ships and they set sail again, firing cannons as they went. History Goes Bump Podcast. Well, I know that we're going to be traveling to Kentucky come May, but uh, why don't we take a little trip there right now? That sounds fabulous, Diane. Octagon Hall in Franklin, Kentucky, has the distinction of being the most unique house in the state of Kentucky. An octagon-shaped home is a rarity There are only four in all of America, but this antebellum home is mysterious and distinct for more reasons than just its shape. Octagon Hall and the entire property that makes up the plantation it was built upon survived the Civil War and occupation by the Union Army. But something else survives here as well. This Kentuckian historical landmark transforms every autumn into a haunted house attraction that really is reportedly haunted. Andrew Jackson Caldwell was born in 1818 to John and Elizabeth Caldwell in Hardin, Kentucky. He was one of three children born to the couple. His first wife was Elizabeth Akers, and the couple had two children, Mary Elizabeth and A.J. A.J. died before he was two, and Mary Elizabeth died as a child, and this is the one I was talking about. And we've heard ages ranging from 7 to 11 to 12 in a horrific manner that we will detail further on in this podcast. Elizabeth, his wife, herself passed away in 1851. Caldwell then married Harriet Smith Morton in 1855, and the couple had eight children. Edith, who died at four, Henry, Martha, Andrew, twins, Joseph and John, Virginia, and Ernest. In 1847, Caldwell laid out plans for a home on a plantation in Franklin, Kentucky. He decided he wanted the place to be unique, so he chose to build it in the shape of an octagon. The home was built from bricks that were fashioned on the plantation from clay and other materials. The home was completed in 1859 with its distinct eight sides, and it rose to three stories. And unfortunately, he did begin this building with his first wife. She never did get to see its completion. Not long after, in 1861, civil war broke out in the United States. Kentucky was a Confederate state, and Caldwell was very pro-Confederacy. His brother was a colonel in the Confederate Army. Word was put out through the Confederate Army that if a Confederate soldier found himself in trouble and if he could make it to Octagon House, he would then be given shelter. Wounded soldiers came, received medical care, and were hidden in the attic. Many did not survive their injuries, and they died in the safe harbor of the home. Two soldiers were buried on the property. The 1st Kentucky Brigade was nicknamed the Orphan Brigade, and they played a big role in the Battle of Shiloh. A group of 12,000 men that were part of the Orphan Brigade camped overnight at Octagon Hall in 1862. The Union Army was in hot pursuit, and the next day, 18,000 of them were camped on the plantation. This stay by the Union Army proved devastating for the Caldwell family. All of the family's cattle were killed, including their beloved milking cow, Old Spot. Some of the dead cattle were thrown into the well, contaminating the water for months. The army also threatened to burn the house down, but later decided against it. This entire area of Kentucky was soon under Union occupation, and it became harder and harder for the Caldwell family to harbor Confederate soldiers. 
The Caldwell family were slave owners, and so it's ironic to think that the Underground Railroad was harboring runaway slaves in the same way that the Caldwells were harboring rebel soldiers. This Valentine's Day, Dunkin's got the perfect pairings to show your love. So get down on one knee with a dozen brownie batter donuts and a cocoa mocha signature latte. Or make them swoon with a strawberry dragon fruit Dunkin' refresher with a Cupid's Choice Donut. Are you ready for love? America runs on Dunkin'. Price and participation may vary. Limited time offer. We are not sure on the date or year of death, but we are guesstimating as accurately as possible that Mary Elizabeth died in 1860 at the age of 12. We are basing this on the 1860 census that has her alive at 11 and EVP sessions, electronic voice phenomenon that claims she is 12. Mary was either playing by the fire down in the basement's kitchen or helping to prepare a meal there when her dress accidentally caught fire. The poor girl was horribly burned over much of her body and suffered for several days before she finally passed away. Andrew Cogwell died in 1866 at just 47. Harriet and the children continued to live in the home until 1918. She sold the house at that time to an osteopathic doctor from Tennessee named Dr. Miles Williams. Dr. Williams lived there until his death in 1954. His widow continued to live in the home until 1981. The Williams family then rented out the property. In 2001, the Octagon Hall Foundation was formed and bought the property. Billy Bird is the executive director, and he has worked to restore the home. It is now a Civil War museum, with one room even set up as a hospital, and it hosts not only daytime tours, but paranormal investigators can do overnights in the building as well. Throughout the month of October, weekends feature Haunted Hall, a haunted house attraction. You know, the interesting thing there is we were talking, you mentioned that Mary was down in the basement's kitchen, and this is going to come up later on as well, when we're talking about the hauntings and stuff. And everywhere they describe the kitchen that's in the basement as the winter kitchen. And when I first typed it out in my brain, I changed it to summer kitchen, because why would you put the kitchen down in the basement in the winter where it's really, really cold? So I would love it if we had some listeners who maybe are a little bit more savvy and know more about this kind of thing. What is a winter kitchen and why would that be in the basement? Exactly. I, I would think no you'd idea. want to be in the basement in the summer, but I, I don't know. Maybe there was what the thinking was about that. Maybe it would stay warmer down in the basement if you had a fire going. Hmm, possibly. I don't know if they had rooms down there or if it was just a place to congregate. Yeah. So I just, I thought it was so strange that they called it a winter kitchen. Cause I was like, Hmm, I don't, the last place I would want to be in the winter is, down in the basement <laughs> it's just cold down there because the heat isn't down there really much so yeah because i never go in our basement in the winter uh-huh of course most people probably know that florida doesn't have basements otherwise they'd be full of water that's why i don't go in it <laughs> it'd be like a giant pool that we already had in the house it'd be our own indoor <laughs> pool that'd be kind of cool just jump down the stairs and sploosh Ghost tales and a belief in the supernatural is a part of the history of the South, and Kentucky is no exception. Some of America's most haunted locations are located in Kentucky, including Bobby Mackey's Music World and Waverly Hills Sanatorium, which many of you have probably seen on all of the different ghost hunters and ghost adventure shows. Octagon Hall is believed to have several ghosts on the property. There is not only a family plot that has the graves of first wife Elizabeth Akers Caldwell and her two children, Mary Elizabeth and baby AJ, but there are two Confederate soldier graves and a slave cemetery. Billy Bird and his brother Barry were the first to report strange happenings as they renovated the home. 
Beds that were made up would either become rumpled or have indentations on the mattress as if someone were lying on the bed. And I believe, I don't know if it's one of their wives or a sister was in one of the rooms cleaning it up. And she had noticed that one of the beds was kind of misaligned. She straightened it up and pulled it up. She left the room to go get something and she came back in and it was all rumpled up again. Hmm. So They don't have any cats, I'm guessing? Uh, no. Oh. Doors opened and closed of their own accord. Disembodied footsteps are heard and occasional dark figures have also been seen. The burglar alarm went off one evening and Billy joined an officer inside the home. The two watched as the parlor door knob jiggled. So the officer went around back to sneak up on the intruder. He found no one, and when he returned to the front, both he and Billy watched as the knob turned and the door opened on its own. Dun, dun, dun. That that would freak me out. People probably wonder, why does she do (laughs) ghost tours of the theater of the mind when she's like, whoa, that freaked me out. Don't tempt the spirits. (laughs) What? Ah. (laughs) But it is really fun, actually, going on ghost tours. Yeah, until you see the first full-bodied apparition, (laughs) and then I bet you're done with them. Uh, Well, we'll see. (laughs) After renovations were complete, the house and property were open for tours. During one such tour in 2003, the heavy iron kettle that hung in the fireplace of the basement's kitchen became dislodged and flew across the room in front of the entire tour group. Yikes. The kettle had no visible assistance with this action. We have a video up with the show notes by Seaborn Paranormal Investigations in 2011, which features the basement's kitchen fireplace and a weird phenomenon that floats in the room. It appears to be a shaft of light that disappears when humans enter the room. Our skeptical minds claim it is some kind of play with string and the infrared light from the camera, but if this group is honest in their claims, then we have no explanation for what caused this phenomenon. This is the first time that Denise has seen this video, so she's watching it right now. And I'd love to hear your observations about what you're watching here. Do you see what the phenomenon is there in the top of the the screen there yeah just that that light moving above mm-hmm. the bottles huh i mean if you were to see something hanging down in front of a camera like this what is your first thought about what that could be it almost looks like a hair or something that's mm-hmm. like just hanging down over the lens or i'm envisioning a balloon with a string hanging down like it would be floating around and you're seeing the string hanging down from it oh the only thing is it is, I mean, it's thicker than what you would think a string would be. So I don't know, because it looks like it was it, closer to the fireplace. Now it's closer to the camera, and it hasn't really changed size-wise. It would depend on how close to the lens it is, because a hair can look huge when you, like, take a picture. Now, the interesting thing that's going to happen with this is continue to watch it until we've got about um, another 30 seconds left on this. And right now we don't have the audio up on it. In the background, you can hear the people talking and you can tell that they're in the distance and then they come in and right now they are talking really loud. They're coming into the room and then see what happened. This object completely floats out of the frame. Which if it was a balloon, that would be weird. For it just to mm-hmm. float away like that. So, huh. So, we would love for you guys to uh, go on and look at the show notes, have a look at that video, and then comment underneath it and let us know. There's also a couple of like weird light, I don't know, like orb weird kind of things towards the end of this little video. It's, it's only about two and a half minutes long. And I don't know, you get torn because, again, like I say, even with the pictures and stuff, since I wasn't there, 
And I don't know that the room was empty and that there wasn't somebody standing behind the camera waving something in front of it. What could that be? And the women who were watching it said that it looked like a, they equated it to what a spinal cord would be. I don't know. There's, I can find explanations for it that are not paranormal, but if there was nothing in there, no hair floating in the air, no string hanging down over the camera, then I have no idea what that was. But it's one of the most unique things I've ever seen on film. Yeah, I've never seen anything like it either. No, and there, I saw some pictures that people posted because this has been investigated by a lot of paranormal investigators, and I saw a lot of different pictures and stuff. Most of them I could explain away. There was one that is taken during the day, and you're looking outside through one of the window frames, and they would say, okay, if you look towards the bottom center, you can kind of see what looks like a head, and then there's a beard, kind of like what probably a Confederate soldier would look like. And when I looked at the description and I really focused on looking at that, I could see what seemed like an image there. But when I changed the way I was looking at it, I think it was just the way that the mountains in the back and the trees just happened to be coalescing with each other to make it look like it. So I, for me, I thought it was just a, a play on the eyes. It's kind of like when people post those pictures up on Facebook and they say, uh, look at this picture and then do you see the word or do you see the face? And if you kind of unfocus your eyes, you, you can kind of see like a 3D image or you can all of a sudden see a face that you couldn't see before or something. That's kind of the way that it felt to me. So I don't know that the, it was really, you know, a ghostly figure looking in through the window. All right, let's talk about this little lady, Mary Elizabeth, who, of course, had a horrible death. Being burned severely in our modern era is bad enough. Back then, I can't even imagine. I don't know what kind of pain pills there were for that. And I'm assuming she was just kept at the home. Yeah, without all the like things that we do for burn victims mm. now, I can't even imagine. Mary Elizabeth is thought to haunt the kitchen and experiences involving her have been reported by numerous investigation groups. EVPs have caught a young girl crying for her mommy and reporting her age as 12. Some people claim to hear audible screams of a young girl, many of which include her screaming for her mother. These strike as a residual in origin. Mary has played what investigators call the flashlight game, which is a game involving a standard flashlight left sitting by itself, turned off, and then the spirit's asked to turn the flashlight off and on. And I've seen this on video as well. We will say after scouring numerous websites featuring EVPs of a young girl that we wonder who exactly this spirit really is because many of the words and sentences captured lead us to believe that this spirit is a prankster with an intention of trying to scare people. The young girl voice has claimed her favorite game is a haunting, and the voice has been recording saying, I'm going to get you, and as if talking to someone else, how should I get them? And you know where we stand when it comes to children, spirits. We have a, a belief that in most cases it is some kind of prankster. It's somebody that's pretending to be exactly. a child and really isn't. And a preteen young girl who went through a, a horrible thing and has been maybe, if you believe, stuck in this place here, maybe you would get to a point where you enjoy scaring people or playing around or fooling around. I don't know, but I don't know. It just seemed kind of strange to me that if you were to ask on an EVP session, hey, what's your favorite game? Most kids are going to say, especially back in that time, you know, maybe ball or Tad something or that kids would play back then, jacks. But to say haunting, that's just weird. When Andrew Caldwell passed away, they held a viewing and awake in the parlor, as was custom at the time. 
There was no embalming at this time, and so a few days of the body sitting open in a room could get a bit, well, odorous. On the anniversary of Codwell's death in 2003, a strong scent of flowers was smelled in the parlor, although there were no flowers in the home. The scent was then followed by an unmistakable scent of death and decay. Ew. I'd be like, can we bring back the flowers? Yeah, that's like double ew. Ugh. Although, you know what? I-, I hate to say it, especially because, you know, we have our-, our new friends, carbon lilies. But lilies stink. They're just horrible. Did you know that you should not sleep in a room with Easter lilies because it can kill you? I do know that. Okay, I do have to tell a story about our co-host, Diane. Is One time <laughs> oh, I'd gotten her this beautiful bouquet just as a sweet, like, here you go. Got her flowers in about two Two, three days later, they still looked gorgeous and they were all in the trash. So I'm trying to figure out, God, what did I do wrong? Did I make her mad? Um, you know, what, what's going on? We'll come to find out that lilies are also very not good for people with asthma. And so the beautiful flowers I bought her were not there for her pleasure. They were killing her. So she <laughs> threw them away. But I'm like, oh my gosh, I tried to kill her. It was pretty bad. It yeah, was- I've always hated the smell of lilies particularly easter lilies and uh, i once had a client tell me that you should not sleep in the same room as easter lilies especially if they're uh, if it's a large one and if you do have breathing problems because they said it can kill you i did not know that no and now that i know i won't be buying lilies for for you or for anybody for that matter roses are a girl's best friend i know they say that about diamonds but i don't like diamonds so actually plants are your best friend because you like flowers just die and they throw them away That's true. Strange light phenomenon have been recorded in the nursery. The spirit of a Confederate soldier who bled to death in the attic is thought to still be in the attic. And he doesn't like people to come up there, apparently. I didn't see anything about what he does, but it's been said that he doesn't like people coming up there. So I don't know if he bars the door or what have you. The interesting thing about the attic, what they would do, they used to keep bees on the premises and they would keep them up in the attic, which hope they don't get out and get into the rest of the house but they would put the injured confederate soldier or the confederate soldier they were trying to hide in like a beekeeper's outfit and throw them up there and the minute the union soldiers would come in and start searching the premises they tell them the bees are up there and they'd kind of poke their head up for a minute and be like yeah and get out of there so i don't know how true that is but i wonder why they never were like i wonder why the beekeeper is laying there writhing in agony (laughs) why is that beekeeper covered in blood Did he get stung? (laughs) He doesn't seem very healthy. (laughs) Adult male voices have been caught on recorder and are seen in the windows. Ghost hunters investigated the property and got their usual audible noises that only they seem to be able to hear. Sorry to be snarky, but we mostly believe ghost hunters is staged entertainment. You know how it goes, Denise. They all wait, be did one- you hear that? <laughs> stop, stop. Wait, wait. No, listen. Did you hear it? And you're straining your ears and then they repeat it and you're like... Occasionally, you might hear a distant bang, but usually I don't hear anything. They'll all stop and go, did you hear that? There was some whispering or I heard a voice. Okay, if you guys heard it, then why didn't your high quality digital recorders pick it up? Because that should pick up better than your ears. Good point. We've got boom mics all over the place and it didn't pick that up. And if you're going to say, hey, did you hear that? Why wouldn't you increase the audio so we all can hear it? I have the same problem when they play EVPs on these paranormal shows you know, podcasts and stuff. 
It's just a waste of their time because first of all, and they'll be like, put on your headphones so you can hear. Well, I do listen to my podcast through headphones and I don't hear anything. And if I do slightly hear something, I don't know what the hell they're saying. So what's the point of them even talking? But anyway, Ghost Hunters had its time. And I thought it. my sister and I, we used to watch it religiously when it first started. And it was fun because it was unique and it kind of put the whole ghost thing out there again. But as we've gotten through all these years, and now I think we've even gotten up to the latest one is going to be Naked Ghost Hunting. You know, that Naked and Afraid show that we've watched. Now they're going to do Naked Ghost Hunting. I hadn't heard that one. <laughs> they were looking for actors and actresses for it, I guess, a couple of weeks ago. You just kind of look at it and shake your head at this point and think, you know, this is really making it look stupid at this point. The, the fact that you and I have been in as many haunted locations as we have, and we just, nothing happens. And if we do have something happen, it's pretty minimal and you can explain it away. We've gotten orb pictures, but you can explain all those away as dust or what have you. So it's just when you watch these and they have several things happen all at once in the small fraction of time that they spend in these places, and you've got as many people and equipment contaminating an area, I just, I don't know. I think a lot of it's hey, listen to this. And the fact that they run around with their little infrared and night vision stuff, turn on the freaking lights so we can see what the hell's going on. Because it doesn't matter to the ghost one way or the other. They don't care if it's day or night. And if the lights are on or off, it just, to me, it's stupid that you're running around in the dark. You're just trying to make it look more intense, I guess. But maybe ghosts are afraid of the light, like humans are afraid of the dark. Oh, that could be. See? Although it's always been my understanding that if they're, you know, because everybody says, oh, my battery's got drained, so it must be the ghost trying to pull that energy out. Well, if you turn on a light, isn't that going to be giving off a bunch of energy? See, Miss Skeptic, you ruin everything. <laughs> I would just think, if you want to have some ghostly activity, flip on every piece of electronic equipment in the house. This is how it is to watch movies with her as well. <laughs> that just would not happen. This is why I can't watch them in a theater, because somebody would throw a book at me or something. Shut up! <laughs> that just doesn't click with me, because why would she do... Yeah. <laughs> this doesn't make any sense to me. So when you're Look, analytical... Hey, I'm, I'm, I'm analytical, and I'm just common sense. And I'm thinking, if these things absorb energy, why wouldn't you fire up energy? And, and I am backed up by people who actually <laughs> are scientists in this field. Okay. She's looking at me very intensely right now, pointing her finger at me. I'm like, okay, I'm just saying. David Roundtree. Now, this is a guy I really respect. This is a guy who's a scientist, and he uses a lot of scientific equipment. And I will tell you... I think the show that he was a part of was Ghost Stalkers, which just ran a few months ago. And it was actually, it was probably one of the most entertaining shows to watch because the one guy in it, I think he's an actor. And you could tell he was totally terrified the whole time. And he reacted exactly like you and I would if we went into a haunted location and something happened. Oh, he's the one that was screaming like a girl. And running. So, but David Roundtree, he builds this equipment to do the scientific testing. And one of the things that he built was kind of like a Tesla coil. And it was supposed to energize and pull all this energy into the room to help give the ghost something to feed off of. And so based on that whole idea of a Tesla coil, to me, it just seems like it makes sense to have as much energy pouring into a home as you possibly can. So here's my advice to paranormal investigators, since I'm now the expert. <laughs> <laughs> Turn on the TVs, the radio, and all the lights in the house, and then go around. Of course, your EVPs will be totally contaminated, but we can't hear them anyway, so... Turn on everything with the sound off. Oh, hey, that's a good idea. You could do that. Mute it. Look at you over there in the peanut gallery. Yeah. Well, I'm not analytical. I just, I'm just like, huh. Anyway, back 
to our story of Octagon Hall. Out of that rabbit hole. (laughs) And I followed her right into the hole. A tunnel exists under the ground running from the kitchen to an outdoor barn, and there is paranormal activity that has been attributed to the tunnel and is perhaps a result of the tunnel being excavated. The tunnel would have been used to secret away Confederate soldiers. The Loom House is a small wooden building on the property that is a replica of the former building that had stood there. It was used as a slave quarters and was also a place where knit fabric was made. Supernatural activities take place in this building, which include disembodied footsteps, doors opening and closing on their own, and sudden chills. So, is Octagon Hall distinct for more reasons than just its unique design? Do parts of its tragic past continue to replay in the present? Do spirits continue to roam the grounds and buildings of the Octagon Hall plantation? That is for you to decide. And when I was asking for different locations in Kentucky, it was because I was like, hey, we're going to be in the Louisville area, so can anybody give me some ideas on some haunted locations there? And people threw out Bobby Mackey's, which is over in Lexington, which is nowhere near there. (laughs) Waverly, which is over in Lexington. And this one's in Franklin, which is about two hours away from Louisville. So we won't be able to make a stop at this one on this trip, but hopefully sometime in the future we might get a chance to to take a picture of one of four octagon homes in this country. That would be very cool, especially since we want to go up that direction more than just this trip coming up in May. Um, But if anybody out there knows of any hauntings around like the Kentucky Derby or any of that area, because we will be in Louisville. So if anybody knows anything up there that they'd like to direct us to, I'm just kind of out there searching. But if you know... cemeteries. Or cemeteries, yes, definitely, again, at historygoesbump at gmail.com. Let us know because we always love to go see these places in person. We like to go to unique, different places that sometimes people don't necessarily think about. And so on our next show, you're going to want to join us because we're leaving the country once again. Woohoo! Yay! We're going to Mother Russia. Neat! <laughs> I'm sorry, that's the only thing the Russian guy said to me the whole time I tried to help him. Yeah, those Russian mafia guys are not nice to you Disney gals, are they? Not very much at all. The Well, not Disney boys either. So far, in no offense to any Russian friends out there, but the only two Russians that I've known that I've got to interact with myself and then a friend of mine, all they would do is glare at us and say, neat, which means no. But they were Russian mafia too, right? You thought? That there was some speculation that they may have been. Yeah, so I'm sure that's not a reflection on all of the Russian people. Oh, no, because Russia loves their children, too. <laughs> At least that's what they told us in the 80s. <laughs> <laughs> who, who was that? It was Sting, I think. Yeah, it was Sting. Sting sang yeah. that song. Yeah. It's a good song. So anyway, we're going to go <laughs> to the Kremlin. This is going to be fun because I don't know much about the place. So it's going to be a lot of fun to research the history, and it is quite haunted. And, well, some of the figures that used to live there, (laughs) can you imagine Ivan the Terrible as a ghost? Oh, my goodness. A crazy ghost? Oh, boy. This is going to be fun. Yes, and I definitely can assure you that I will not be wanting to go see this in person. Well, actually, I wouldn't mind seeing the Kremlin in person, maybe. Russia has some really neat architecture. That is very true. Especially St. Petersburg. That's true. So we'll see. I I don't know. Yeah, well, when the we t- always talk like we're these famous world travelers, <laughs> and it's mostly in our brains. But hey, it well, sounds when, like fun to say. When the team went there, though, they said that the food was icky until they found a Pizza Hut, and pizzas were like really expensive. Was it still? The, now she's talking about the Taekwondo World Team. Mm-hmm. This was years ago. Was it still the Soviet Union then? It would have been. Let me see. 
It would have been no, like 19, no, no, it would have been nineteen ninety-seven. Yeah. yeah, so it, it would have been in ninety-seven. Okay. So anyway, join us for that. Thank you so much for joining us for this show. If you've enjoyed what you've heard, please, 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 if you listen at Stitcher and iTunes, I know I'm begging. We would love to get your reviews. It only takes a few minutes. And I know uh, it's it, it slips people's minds. But that's one thing I try to do for the podcast that I really enjoy because I know that it's those reviews that not only helps people determine whether they're going to actually listen to something, because that's what I look at when I'm checking out a new podcast, but also it gets us on the map over at iTunes. So we'd love to have you do that for us. So again, thanks for tuning in. This has been your host, Diane. And this has been Denise. Y'all take care now. Bye-bye. Check out the website at historygoesbump.com.